Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of several lore-focused people over at Blizzard Watch. I say several because a lot of people are invested in the story right now. Anyway, I've got both my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore aficionado, official lore aficionado over at Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi. Greetings, humans. Human, okay. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Mechagon, so lots oh, of nod yes. there. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. Um, <laughs> and while we're at it here, I'm going to introduce the other source of the chuckle there. Uh, that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? It's going pretty darn well. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm all right. I will be better once this lingering cough thing goes away, honestly. <laughs> My voice has just been kind of ragged for like the past couple of weeks, and most of it is due to overwhelming amounts of pollen everywhere. It's yeah, awful. it is definitely that season. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to mitigate it as best I can with like, you know, tea. But yeah, if I get a little gravelly, I apologize in advance, folks. Speaking of... Uh, we we might as well just kind of jump into what we're going to talk about on the show. Last time we got together... Well, actually, no, before we leap into that, last time we got together, it was episode 99, which makes this episode number 100 of Lorewatch. You guys, we've been doing this for 100 episodes. We uh, we are old hands at this by now. <laughs> when did that happen? It feels like we just started this. Wouldn't that make this as a two-year mark? Because um, I'm doing them every other week. Yeah. Roughly. No. Yeah. Maybe? I don't well, know. We do them every 50, other week. There's 52 weeks, 50 in, a year, weeks right? in a year. So if we're doing on 100, we've been doing this for almost two years. Well, more than that, four years. It would be four. Because there's 52 weeks in a year, but we're doing them every other week. Yeah. Have we really been four. doing that show? Okay. Wow. Wow. Anyway, regardless. <laughs> it does not feel like we've been doing this for four years. No, it, does it doesn't. Like, not even a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, that's. Wow. Yeah, that's right. Because we started. We were talking about like Chronicle Book One and stuff originally, yeah. and, and like the the BlizzCon before that. Ha- yeah, we have been doing this for a while. Okay, well, uh, the passage of time aside, for those of you that have been listening for all 100 episodes, thank you. And for those of you that are just you know tuning in or have only recently caught up with us, hey, welcome. Sit down. We're going to talk about lore. It's going to get a little crazy. Probably a lot of speculation involved. Um, so yeah, I guess here's to 100 episodes, you guys. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I didn't expect that the show would go this long, but huzzah! Yeah, I'm glad it has. <laughs> I mean, I I fully expected us to be going for eons. Yeah, but you know that's just me. Okay. All right. Uh, now back to the subject at hand, or rather the subject from two weeks ago. We were talking about the 8.2 PTR, and we did slap spoiler warnings on that one. Uh, 
this is going to be another spoiler heavy episode because quite frankly we talked about everything but like the two new zones that we're jumping into because there was so much side stuff going on. So today we're going to be talking about Mechagon and we're also going to be talking about Nazjatar. Obviously this is going to involve spoilers from the PTR. So if you're avoiding all of that stuff, hi, thank you for stopping by for episode number 100. Now you should probably shut it off and either go play on the PTR or just, you know, come back after it's, after the patches come out. We understand. It's fine. Um, this is your official spoiler warning. That's it. Okay, let's jump into this. We get two, not one, but two new zones. And one of them is really, 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 really huge. And that would be Nazitar. The other one is not quite as huge, but it's still pretty substantial. And that would be Mechagon. Uh, the other unique thing about Mechagon is it, in, it introduces a new mega dungeon called Operation Mechagon um, along the lines of Karazhan. Along the lines of Karazhan from Legion. Have you guys checked into this at all? Have you guys seen what's what as far as Mechagon goes or the story of Mechagon? Because it's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I've been looking at it a bit. Does one of you do want to explain what's up? No, we don't. We don't want to make you do it. No, I'm kidding. I, I feel really bad, actually. It sounds like you're having trouble with the cough, and I know how that feels. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> My voice Me is Mechagon. Yeah, we'll just get into it. Mechagon, the zone, is kind of a lost kingdom of dwarves. And essentially what happened was 400 years ago... Wait, dwarves? When the, sorry, gnomes. gnomes. Okay. <laughs> when 400 or so years ago when the gnomes first kind of like woke up. Because remember, the gnomes that we have um, in Azeroth, they're, they're in the Eastern Kingdoms. Those gnomes come out of Uldaman, as did the dwarves. Right? Both the gnomes and the dwarves came out of Uldaman. And when they were in there, they were kept in stasis. When they came out, they didn't really know much of what was going on. So they just kind of did their best and started like a kingdom in, um, oh, bloody heck, I can't think of the name of, this, of the starting zone for Kasmodan. dwarves. Kasmodan. Thank you. And Kasmodan, they both started their own kingdoms. Uh, the gnomes started Nomergon and the dwarves started the, you know, Ironforge. But apparently, originally, and this is new information to me, I'd never heard this before. Uh, apparently, the, no the gnomes had a king at the time, and his name was Mechagon. And that's interesting because it's very similar to a character we met in in uh, Northrend named Mechazod, Gearmaster Mechazod. So oh, it's yeah. quite it's quite possible this Mechagon was similar to Mechazod in that he would might have been a former Gearmaster or some other Titan construct who retained some of his mechanicalness. I was gonna say the what what kind of interest me interested me about that whole thing right there is that the gnomes as far as we knew the gnomes never had like a monarchy type thing it was always their leader was voted in basically it was kind of like a democratic thing where everybody said yeah you've got the best stuff you're the best tinker so you're going to go ahead and lead us and yeah and and that's basically what happened after this because yeah when the gnomes when the gnomes come out apparently mechagon was like uh this isn't no this isn't right we're you know we're lacking something we're we're not supposed to be these fleshy things and he took like his like his most loyal followers and left and the ones that stayed behind were the ones who became modern gnomes the ones who uh who kept stating gadgets on and elected their you know high tankers that whole society comes out of him abandoning them he he took his his loyalists and left and for 400 years, no one's heard from this guy again. There's like a few legends. Uh, I can't remember the name of the guy. Overspark. Overspark is the guy who gives you the quest. Who's like, you know, he's the one who knows the legends. Who's like, yeah, they have these legends of of this guy Mechagon, this this king who who left to go find this mythical land of technology, and we don't know what happened to him. And that's how when we get to Mechagon, that's basically we're looking for this forgotten vault that that Mechagon is. And so that's the, 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 when we get there, we're, we're going to basically follow up on this legend. There's a place in Kul Tiras, uh that, that we, I don't know if you know about it. It's, it's in um, the, the, the same zone as Baralis. Yeah. Uh, it's it's Tiragard sound. It's, it's yeah, the rusted vaults in Tiragard sound. Yeah, that has a beacon that leads to the, this place. Uh, the Mechagon Island, which is apparently some kind of Titan construct or something that that Mechagon led his people to, and using it, he's found a way to effectively re-mechanize them 
to a degree. Like he can give them robotic limbs and parts, but he's gone kind of kind of crazy, kind of real crazy, kind of uh, wipe out all organic life crazy. Like he's that's the whole bit of the dungeon. He, the whole point of the dungeon is yeah, that he's he, got some way. He's kind of replaced so many of the flesh parts with mechanical parts that he doesn't really have a heart or empathy or anything like that anymore. He's he's like a Cyberman. <laughs> this is well, all. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of wondering a cyber gnome, but I'm I'm wondering if that's a little bit if there's something more to it than that because one of the things that was was very evident when they started talking about this is that it wasn't just that he randomly decided to do this. He was given a vision that, you know, flesh was weak and must be replaced by the robotic parts and bring them back to their, you know, their original form and that he was going to be a champion of this plan, right? Like that, that was the whole thing, but he received a vision. We don't know where that vision came from. So is it like the other corruption? I don't think so because here's the deal, right? The whole reason that they became fleshy in the first place was because of the curse of flesh from the old gods. Mm -hmm. So, the old gods wouldn't turn around and say, hey, yeah, you need to make yourselves into metal again. Would they? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, they're not being converted back. Like when when Deathwing and uh, the weird stone cat people, why can I not remember their name now? Tolvir. The Tolvir. When the Tolvir were being converted, they were being converted back through a magical process that was actually reverting them back to an earthen state. It wasn't just being replaced. So they're they're still squishy inside. They still have like brain bits and fleshy bits. And they're sort of being made into cyborgs. They're not actually reversing the curse of flesh, right? They're basically just lopping off pieces of themselves and sticking cybernetic pieces onto them. And at the inside, I mean, at least from what I've read and from the description of it, they still have brains and still their brains inside. It's not a machine brain that's replaced it. So at the end of the day, I mean, I could see this fitting in old God's plan of an extra, an extra crazy sort of minion to go do my bidding because if you have this thing that's a fleshy squishy brain that thinks it's impervious to all of this stuff because it has to save the entire world from this curse of flesh by turning everything into robots with its giant death robots that's just more discord that's just more chaos like i could see that being i suppose i suppose i just honestly don't think we need to drag the uh the old gods into this one i mean here's the thing there's a when you do the Drust stuff in Drustvar, one of the uh, things that they mention is that the Drust had conflict with a small group of beings that resembled gnomes in stature. True. And if Mechagon's vault, the the the, the vault that you find in Baralis leads one to Mechagon, there's a beacon there. Um, the gnomes may have set up, they may have gotten to Drust to Drustvar, been attacked by the Drust, retreated to Tyrigard Sound set up the beacon to, so that any of their people that were looking for them could find them and then retreated off to another place. I think that none of that requires the old gods active involvement. I just think it's stuff happening. I, I think to a certain degree we're inclined to look for old gods, this expansion, because we know they're, they're active. We know they're out there doing stuff, but I think the the old God stuff's going to be over on, on Nazjatar. And I think this is just one, one, brilliant but dangerous person who's uh found out i feel like something he shouldn't know and he's going to do this whether or not anyone agrees with him and, I, and we know that this is something that mechazad himself wanted to to undo the curse of flesh for everybody like he was he was re-mechanizing gnomes this guy couldn't figure out that secret he couldn't reverse engineer the curse of flesh the way the others did he like because the mogu did it too wasn't just Deathwing who gave it out to the Tolvir. The Mogu figured out on their own oh, yeah. how to do it. Well, I, but... I, I feel like I should, because honestly, this whole thing kind of has echoes of the Mogu to me, like in feeling wise. This is why I don't think it's necessarily the old gods. I think this is kind of another display of Titan creations trying to regain whatever purpose they had lost and in the case of the mogu you know they were shapers and all of that and then they lost their beacon the person that guided them their keeper and kind of went on this whole trek i guess we'll call it that (laughs) of flesh shaping of of shaping things It, it was them still trying to do their purpose but trying to do it without any kind of definition whatsoever so technically speaking they were still doing what they were created and bound to do but 
it took on this really kind of dark and twisted purpose. And I'm wondering if this kind of feels a little bit like that, where you have a gnome who is aware that they used to be robotic and he's looking at all of these flesh parts and going, this is a weakness. This isn't something that we're supposed to have. And he's just gone overboard with it, like completely overboard. And he's gone about it entirely the wrong way. Like you were saying, Mechazod, whatever Mechazod was doing, it worked. And what this guy is doing is something completely different and a lot more disturbing, honestly. Well, what's interesting, too, to think about is the entire reason Mimiron is the way he is is because Loken had him killed. Yeah. And when I, I'm not kidding around when I say had him killed. He he used to look much more like another one of the, the big Titan Forge. He looked you know, like Thorum or, or yeah. you know, one of the other big guys. Maybe less physically imposing, but, you know, they all look roughly the same. They all have similar body plans. And then he died. And then his mechanome servants collected him and put him in a body they made for him. That body isn't, it, it's not, wasn't made by the Titans for to, to house him. It was made by their, by his servants to house him. Mm-hmm. It's their version. They were trying of, to repair him. Yeah. It's their version of what he made when he made them. So they have a tendency. You see this over and over again. Gnomes have a tendency to go a little off the rails and just try anything to see if it'll work. And so I'm not surprised that what he's doing is not, this isn't mechanizing. It's not converting them back to metal. It's amputation. They're chopping stuff off. They're implanting things. And that's disturbing. your, Your dose of body horror is certainly there, but it's also interesting because it means he does not have the thing that the old gods gave Deathwing because Deathwing gave that to the Tolvir. That was from the old gods. The old gods, of course, they know how to get rid of the curse of flesh. You know, the, go- the old gods made it, especially if it, you know, flesh is, is our, you know, what is it? That the, I can't remember exactly what the old gods said, but something along the lines of Ilganoth says, flesh is his gift. You are yeah. his creation. That being flesh is, is their gift to the, to the Titan Forge. It's their means of corrupting them. And they, they know how to take it away. If Mechagon had that from them he wouldn't have to do this now they might withhold it if like joe said they just want to sow chaos but i don't see how that helps them along their plan any and we there is stuff going on in this in this patch that is directly involved in the the heart of azeroth and what's going on with with uh trying to save it and the, the actual necklace we're wearing and everything but that's guess, all in the Nazatar stuff. So going back to this, I don't think this is anything as simple as flesh crafting or flesh shaping. Or I think this is just a Mad King's dream. I think this is his. Whether or not he had a magic vision sent to him or not, I think this is just him being. I don't. I don't think mad. it was. I don't think it was a vision though, so much as a reminder of their original purpose. Because these little mechanomes, they were there to. What did they do with? I mean. What did they do with Mimiron? They repaired him. They fixed him. They made him better. As far as they were concerned, that was just part of their programming. Well, better um, than dead, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it, they brought him back. They they fixed him. And that's kind of like what the mechanomes were there for was just, you know, inventing things, fixing things, making things better. They were They were these weird little tinkering robot things that were there to do repairs and stuff. And I feel the point's been made that they're not, they didn't succeed with him. No, but I feel like in fact they made Memoron worse. And that might be what's happening. No, you're not letting me finish though. I I think that, I think that these creations, these Titan creations or these keeper creations in the case of the mechanomes, did he find them or did he make them? I think he just made them. Yeah. He made them. Okay. So when they make these creations, these creations have like, a purpose. It's like their prime directive or whatever, right? So the Mogus, the Mogus purpose, they were shapers. They shaped things. And without any direction, they tried to continue on that course and it didn't work out right. I feel like what happened with King Mechagon here is that he, for whatever reason, even though the other gnomes didn't necessarily remember what was going on, he remembered what that original purpose was to repair, to create, 
and maybe he had a vision of them as mechanomes way back when and he's just going with that purpose I don't know to me I I always find storylines like this like I found the Mogu particularly fascinating because it was kind of an example of the fact that the Titans and their creations they aren't infallible and they can go overboard and mm-hmm. they aren't necessarily these beacons of good or whatever. Stuff can still go wrong. And it doesn't have anything to do with the old gods. It's just their programming is a little wonky. And I'm wondering if that's what's up with Mechagon. Um, I, I still like think that we're going to wind up finding like some weird like master brain in the middle of Mechagon or something like that. I mean, we might. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? We might. But I I like to think of that this is just like another example of Titan innovation that maybe got entirely out of hand. You know what I mean? Which is entirely possible. And And I interrupted you, Rossi, and I'm really sorry. (laughs) uh, Yeah, but I don't, I have no idea what I was saying. So (laughs) go on, because you were talking, Joe. I was going to say, one of the things I like about this, though, too, is ever since, like, Battle for Azeroth dropped, if you did the the region where this island is sort of located, you kind of come across like essentially what are the Junker Wastes, where it's a giant junkyard that is just outside of a sealed wall, and it's very oh, almost the like Fallout. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very Fallout 4-ish, and I really I really dig that. But it's interesting because like there's no explanation as to what the heck is going on there. It's just in the middle of everything that's happening with all the Kulturians and the Zandalari and, and all of the, the war stuff, there's this little pocket of, like, unexplained weirdness. And now we're starting to, like, crack open the sort of the vault and, and dig deeper into the iceberg and see what's going on. And I kind of really like that because it's building off of that. It's well, building off of, like, why are these weird security dogs all of a sudden hunting me? And, I was like, going to say, aren't gnomes just kind of like little pockets of weirdness in and of themselves? But there's no gnomes there. That's the thing. Like, you don't run into, <laughs> yeah. you don't run into any gnomes. No, you it's just, just it's the stuff they left behind. Robots. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, and I don't know from the Alliance side if there's anything on that, because I haven't seen it on the Alliance side. But I think it's it, it's sort of been cool that it's been unexplained up well, until this point. Oh, there Actually, is a quest. There's, yeah, yeah, there's stuff there Alliance-wise. Go ahead, Rossi. Well, I mean, there's first off, you find out that there used to be quite a few gnomes living in Boralus. Like, there was a sizable population of gnomes that had migrated to Boralus and lived there for quite a while. And they're all gone now. Like, they left. They just suddenly vanished, and no one knows why. But when you go out to um, Terragard, when you're in that area where the vault is, uh, there's, a, there's a gnome there who gives a quest. And he's like, look, I've, I tracked my people to here. They, they came here. We, we have to figure out why. And he sends you in there. There's a quest to kill a big robot dog monster thing. And that quest kind of dead ends. It's just like, you know, we, they were here, but now they're not. And we don't know why. We don't know where they went. It ends at that vault door where he's like trying to figure out how to get this open. Yeah, yeah but he can't yeah. figure out how to get it open. Um, it's kind of an interesting quest, too, because when it, when it first came out, it seemed to be just a vehicle for you to gain access to a special pet that you could buy at the pet store vendor. And there's a lot of those quests out there where like you do a little series of quests. And then if you go visit the pet vendor, you've unlocked a pet. Um, and this was one of those, but it still seemed to be hinting at something bigger. And this is the bigger thing that it was hinting at. So I don't know. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned fallout four, Joe, because Mechagon itself, when you go play on it, is it feels a little Fallout 4, a little bit, because you have to, like, part of the, the, the gameplay there is, like, you build structures and things like that, like, you're helping, you're helping this rebellion, like, build a settlement and that kind of thing, so it kind of smacks of Fallout 4 just a little bit with that. And I think that's, and I think that's, I, I like that because I, I don't get me wrong. Like I, I appreciate the lore of our, our game world so much, but I like when pop culture inspiration finds its way into shaping the lore. And that's what it feels like here. And I kind of, I kind of really enjoy that aspect of it. Regardless, that's what's up on Mechagon. Um, the way that it plays out is a little bit different. There, there's story stuff that you can do, but a lot of it involves like, just daily things that you can do um you get to like find stuff turn it in for reputation there's no like daily cap on it or anything like that you can keep foraging as long as you want to forage 
Um, there's PvP elements involved. And obviously, we've got that big mega dungeon that's coming into play as well. Um, that's all coming in patch 8.2. And this is all stuff that you can play through on the BTR if you haven't had a chance to check it out. I think, however, at this point, we should turn our attention to what is the most story-laden part of 8.2, and that would be Nazjatar. Um, one of you want to talk about the history? Give us a, like a brief rundown of the history of Nazjatar real quick. Go for it. Rossi? Uh, what do I have to do? What I did to do the last one. Okay, Nazjatar is <laughs> essentially... Uh, if you remember seeing the, the Ashara Warbringers short... Nazjatar is the remains of Zenashari and the surrounding area of it. You are looking at the heart of the original Kali, the Kalin, the Kaldari Empire, the the big night elf civilization that ruled most of Kalimdor. Uh, when Ashara failed to prevent the waves from crushing it, and you know, let's be fair here that that she didn't fail by much, um, but when she could proved not quite capable of stopping the water from crushing the city. She made a deal with um, Nizoth. I couldn't know why I'm having trouble saying Nizoth. Uh, she made a deal with Nizoth that you know she and her people, specifically that her people would conquer the planet for him. She doesn't actually promise him anything. Like if you go back and watch the short, Ashara makes no deal with with Nizoth that involves her behavior or actions. Nope. She says she will, you know, she will lead her people to conquer the world for him. She doesn't say I will serve you at any point. There is no there is no bargain of loyalty. She even says, you know, if you do don't like it, let me die. I'd rather die a queen than live a servant. So that the Shar makes that deal. Um he takes it for his own reasons. Um it's interesting that the, the Naga are essentially she she never even gives up control of the Naga if you will watch the short again. She's very clear that she will lead her people to conquer the world for him. She doesn't say her people will serve him. She says she'll lead them in conquest. When she conquers the world, it'll be his world, but she's going to be the one that conquers it. That's that's it. She basically gives him the planet, and it's been 10,000 years, and she hasn't actually really tried to make good on that deal yet, so that's interesting. But yeah, Nazjatar is that area. It's the transformed, formerly underwater kingdom that Ashara has ruled since that period of time. It's where the, the Naga are at their strongest. It's the heart of their underwater realm. And it's where we're going to be finally. And if you play like a, a Blood Elf or a, Highborn, or a Nightborn or a, a Night Elf or a Void Elf, you are essentially going back to the, the, the fount of your people. You thought Suramar was a trip back in time. This is like ground zero of everything. This is... This is the place where the Night Elves ruled supreme. This is the place where they defeated the Zandalari and drove them to their mountain. This is the place where they basically said, we rule this world and everybody else lives here because we don't care what they do. Um, This is the place where the height of their hubris and the totality of their power was manifest. This is the place that saw the, the, the Well of Eternity. Like when, when, when it was in its, basically what's interesting to me is when this place comes up, you're essentially, I don't know how to put it. You're like at the banks of the, of the well of eternity. The original well of eternity was right on the banks of, of the, of, you know, the Zinashari was right there. It was right on the shore of it. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're walking in a very old place. Um, This is where Ashara walked as last as a mortal. This is where, when she was queen of the night elves, you know, of all of them. And uh, this has been a long time coming in game. We've, we've been hearing about this place. Um, essentially the, the realm of Ashara, the, 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 the horde zone, that place is roughly speaking that would have been physically connected to this place yeah. before the sundering. Those two areas were once connected to the point where there's that giant statue of like the head of it's still there. there there's this, it's really fascinating, but we don't really, we don't know exactly what's been going on this whole time. Like it's been 10,000 years underwater. The place is different now. Um, and we're going to get to see a lot of it. There's, there's two quests in particular that I'm, that I'm really interested in. There's one for, uh, Thalysra, the Nightborn. uh, what is she, is she Grand Major, Grand Magister yet? I um, forget what her title is. Yeah, I believe so. Or is it High Arcanist? I don't remember. She's what First Arcanist is. is what she is. Okay. Yeah. She, she's, uh, 
getting got a quest of her own where you know ashara kind of barely deigns to talk to her um she's kind of like well you know you were the servant of one of my servants so yeah whatever and uh the other one's chandra's Feathermoon. Chandra's Chandra's Feathermoon has a quest as well. She gets an even less polite response from Ashara. Ashara does talk to both of them, um, but yeah, she she was very much like you, you were a peasant. You were a peasant then. You're nothing to me. And I gotta say, Ashara's attitude in this is perfect. Like note perfect. Everything I've seen of her, everything she says and does, just absolutely as arrogant as you'd expect. Oh yeah. Um, wonderfully so. Uh, but yeah, the, the the lore of it is essentially this is the place where the night elves first, like where Xavius first contacted Sargeras. This is the place where they decided to bring the legion through onto Azeroth for the first time. This is the place that when uh, Malfurion decided to destroy the Well of Eternity, this is the place that that Ashara almost protected. It's the the it it, it makes all the other cities we've seen like we've seen other ancient night elf cities you mentioned suramar before that we saw eldrathalus um we've seen ruins uh, of various types darnassus itself is most likely ruins that were like raised up from the bottom of the ocean by the by the world tree um we've seen cities like um Quel'Thalas, which is one that they were they built afterwards this is however this is the 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 pre-sundering capital of the night elves and I mean, it's all, and the thing is, like, it's not like it's been like the other things. It's not ruins. It's not something that was freshly built after. This is something that, you know, when the wave came down, when everything like consumed this city, this place, it wasn't just abandoned. It wasn't just ruins underwater because the Naga continued to live here. It is yeah. still their capital city of their empire. So you're going to see almost an evolution of what that architecture, what that city structure is based off of what their needs are. So you're going to see almost like an alien version of elf architecture. And it's, it's very interesting to take a look at uh, and how like the different elements of that sort of like sea life, that sea nature has sort of um, been woven into it. Even when you start looking at the, the eternal palace, uh, you know, the place, the seat of power for Azara, and you start looking at how that has potentially shifted from, you know, original elven architecture or even Titan influence. And it's not it's not old gaudy, at least not what I'm seeing. It's I mean, I hate to say fishy, but for lack of a better term, it's almost like there's a sort of embracing of being the Naga, which I think is is sort of interesting because it's just, it's unrepentant. And I think that's so spot on for that type of that type of character. Right. There is no I lament my former life. It's no I am queen incarnate. This is my this is my throne to heck with it. This is what it is. So when we end up in Nazjatar, there's two kind of different things going on. We talked about this a little bit last time where we talked about how the Horton Alliance kind of decided to work together after rescuing Bane. Um what we didn't talk about was the other half of that. When these two factions arrived, they each met different representatives of factions that exist under the water there. Um, one of them is the Ancoan, and the Ancoan are, they're basically kind of an off, offshoot of the Jinyu that, that left Pandaria, and they are basically deep sea warriors that live under the ocean and they've been fighting the Naga for a very very long time but the Naga have been hunting them to near extinction so we're helping them out on the alliance side on the horde side the horde encounter the unshackled and these guys are a faction of former slaves to the Naga that decided to rise up and do their own thing and there are gill goblins there's bakura there's sea giants they've all banded together basically to kind of seize their freedom which is pretty interesting and that's that's who we're working with on the horde side of things um when you first arrive in nazjatar you're immediately kind of thrust into a conflict and that's where these two factions show up and kind of pull our butts out of the fire if that's what you want to call it and then we establish our own base and figure out where to go from there on the horde side of things though i do want to mention this on the horde side of things it's really interesting and particularly in the introduction to nazjatar when you arrive um it's a little 
I guess, well, I mean, we're talking spoilers for 8.2, so we can go ahead and talk about spoilers for, like, the Crucible of Storms raid. At the end of the Crucible of Storms, Sylvanas gets her hand on Zalatath and kind of implies that Zalatath is going to hold some sort of important role in whatever it is she's doing next. On the Horde side, when you're getting ready to go to Nazjatar, uh, the introductory quests are now, they're actually on the PTR now, Nathanos Blightcaller is there, and he has Zalatath. Like, he's just carrying this knife around. When you guys arrive on Nazjatar, you and Lorthamar and all of the, like, the Horde people, you're establishing your camp with the Unshackled and everything. Nathanos kind of wanders off by himself with the blade, because he apparently has a mission to complete. And that's all he tells you, is just he has a mission to complete. That's it. So over the course of quests in Nazjatar, you're more focused on what's going on with the Naga and defeating the Naga and coming up with trying to dig up some kind of weapon that we can use to get access to Ashara and like do some kind of significant damage to her so we can ultimately bring her down because that's what we're there for. But it turns out that things aren't quite what they seem as always, with World of Warcraft. So, um, over the course of doing this, and I know, Rossi, you talked about this a little bit, Chandris and Thalysra, they they each have their own set of quests that you can do, where they revisit these moments in their past, and they actually revisit figures from their past um, ghosts that have been left behind. That's the cool part about the ruins of Zinashari, is that there are spirits walking around. There are spirits of former Highborn that died, and most of them have no idea that they're dead. They act like they didn't die. They just they're just playing out their lives and it's a little bit weird. Anyway, uh Zalatath. What do you guys think what is Nathanos doing with Zalatath? Why is Zalatath being brought down there? What's up with that? See, well, I've been Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it it doesn't have the spirit of the actual entity Zalatath within it anymore. No. Like it's not Zalatath, it's just a body. He needs to find a power source for it. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. He needs, he needs to find something that will make it work. If if Sylvanas needs to, wants to use that dagger to defeat the Alliance, she needs it to actually work. Um, and if you're looking for something connected to the old gods and powerful enough to power Zalatath, a good place to, put, to look for it is in Nazjatar, because we know that when she got when Ashar got dragged under the water, it, she was shown a vision of Nizoth's palace, the completely alien, not at all Nazjatar-like structures of the city he had created when it was the Black Empire. So there's there's a chance that he he knows of something along those lines, something of the element, something powerful enough to make that dagger work again, something void-related. Well, I mean, I'm so we know wondering... that Ashara was looking for the dagger mm-hmm. because that's the whole quest you get that puts you on the Ash. You know, that, that the whole quest chain to deal with Zalatath in the first place that ends up you getting the gift of the Zoth on your forehead comes from a Naga. You find orders on the Naga saying, basically saying, "Hey, find me this knife." Yeah. So Ashara was looking for it. What did she want it for? Well, I'm also wondering if there's something that may have existed there prior to everything going kind of haywire that maybe Sylvanas knows about. Like maybe there's an ancient artifact or something, an, an item of power that as Azara always had or was always supposed to be there. And that's what she's doing. Because I, I, like you, I, I honestly think that it, right now the knife does no good because it's empty. It doesn't have power. Do you it's think, just. Do you think Nathanos is trying, is, is going to like wander off to his Shara's palace is he like doing a quest turn in <laughs> like kind of like, I like think... we got the we got the whole missive that said Ashara was looking for this thing and now they have the knife so is Nathanos gonna go to Ashara and say hey I found this thing you were looking for well I don't think it's gonna be like that but I think what's going to wind up happening is Horde or Alliance side you're going to run into Nathanos inside of that palace at some like point he's, yeah he's going there with a purpose well I mean <sighs> We know one thing for sure. We know this because this is something that that Ashara says. This is heavy spoilers uh, for 8.2, but we're already talking about it, so in for a penny. Yep. Ashara at one point tells you 
flat out that everything you've done with the Heart of Azeroth is Nazoth's plan. That's exactly yes. what he wanted you to do this whole time. He needs the fully charged Heart of Azeroth. It is central to something he requires. She doesn't say exactly what. She's just like, you thought that this was, you know, that this isn't, no, no, this is exactly what we want you to do. You've, you've done exactly what we wanted. Thank you. So what do you think would be powerful enough to activate that dagger? And why does Ashara need it? And what does that have to do with Nazoth's plan? Is it Nazoth's plan to get that dagger? Or is it Ashara's plan to get that dagger? Was she trying to get the dagger away from him before he could free the spirit within it? That's that's the thing that I was wondering was you basically when you picked up the dagger and you did everything that Zalatath wanted you to do and you got the gift of Nazoth, you basically did what the Naga were supposed to do anyway, in theory, or at least that's how it appears. But maybe you weren't, and maybe Ashara was looking for this dagger to prevent whatever was going on. More to do something else with it entirely. Yeah. We don't know. But what's really interesting to me is, well, first off, um, while my Death Knight certainly did turn it in, my warrior hasn't. My warrior's hands will be clean. Y'all destroyed the world. I didn't do it. Uh, but anyway, the, the interesting thing to me is that this idea of like what the dagger simplifies, like what is she going to empower it with? Who's going to use it? Like who's got it? What's it for? It's almost like misdirection. Like I almost feel like we're all spending our time watching the dagger and we're spending absolutely no time finding out where did Zalatath actually go? Oh yeah. Because she's that, I mean, she, it, whatever you want to call it. She is pieced out. out. Of that. Yeah. She pieced off. But so. to where? Because one of the things we know about Zalatath throughout its history is it elevates people to positions of great power and allows them to achieve almost all their goals, and then it stops. So here's an interesting question. Like, we know that Zalatath is essentially a piece of Nizah, right? Like, we, 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 we can make that assumption. No, no, we can't. Not necessarily Nizah, but a piece of an old no. god, it was implied. A piece of, or possibly all of. All that remains of, much like the heart of Yashraj was at one point, all that remained of Yashraj. Well, I mean, so if it, if it is well, another... Here's another thing. Here's another thing, too. Look at the weapon that Degarash Hellscream used. What was its name? Zalato. I was going to say, wasn't that Zalatoth instead of... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Corrupted image of Gorafon. It's quite possible that, Yashra, that Yashraj and not Nazoth is the source of Zalatath. And, it, and again, it's a, a situation where when the old gods die, like when they are separated, pieces of them can live on. But we don't know. We have well, no idea. And that would also explain... The cloth. Well, I was going to say, it would also explain why Zalatath referred to Nazoth kind of poo-pooing as, as being the weakest of the old gods. Well, and I guess that's sort of my question, though. Then what? where is the motivation for Nazoth to release whatever's inside of it? What's the purpose then? What is and, and if that's the case, like even with going the Garrosh route, like yeah, Zelatoth or or uh, Zelato was sort of a manifestation of that power, but it does it have a spirit inside of it? Is it another living creature? And I guess that's sort of the thing that's throwing me for a loop is because whatever whatever walked out of here is a fully actualized. It, I mean, it has sentience, right? It has sentience in a way that's not just a piece of it something. It has a body obvious. now and it can yeah. walk and talk and it looks like any one of us. It, it's not a talking piece of metal anymore. So I Boy. guess my question is, where did that come from? Is that how old gods work when they die? Because if that's the case, how come any of the other pieces didn't do that? Well, for all we know, they did. Zalato certainly whispers to you. Zalato talks to you. I had sure. Zalato. I know this. The weapon talked to me the whole time. Wouldn't shut up, in fact. Um, but here's another thing to think about. You're, you're trying to figure out what, why did, why did Nazoth do that? What did he get out of it? Why did he free her? And, but he tells you why. He, if they're quite upfront with what they wanted. They wanted you. Yeah. You're the bringer. You're the torchbearer. Mm -hmm. You're the one. It's you. Which is <laughs> just, just creepy. Um, it's creepy I... because it also. But think about the other thing too. Not just that they wanted you. They, they. He marks you and gives you the choice. Do you decide, do you keep the mark or do you get it purged off of you? And what does that mean? What, what does rejecting him mean? 
if you keep that mark on you, he has started to whisper to people. Um, it's kind of unintelligible, but he has started to whisper to people, which is a little weird. Um, for people that have chosen to keep the gift anyway. For people that, that didn't, yeah, you don't get Darren DePaul whispering strange and unintelligible things in your ear. Sorry. Um, I want to go back to Ashara, though. Because you did mention this, and I wanted to um, talk about the Ashara encounter. Because it's actually, when you're in the raid, when you're in the um, Eternal Palace raid, right before the Ashara encounter, that's when she kind of lays things out for you. And she says, um, this is data mine text. It might not actually go live, but this is what's in there right now. It says... You see the truth now, don't you, heroes? Every move you've made has been accorded, according to my will. That lumbering dwarf believed you could save Azeroth by empowering your shiny little heart, the gift of a sleeping titan. Yes, a titan's heart was exactly what was needed, not to heal the world, but to shatter the prison of a god. The ritual nears completion. The Black Empire rises, and the world awaits its true queen. That's kind of heavy, because that implies that all of this Azerite collecting that we've been doing has been... um a big boo-boo that was that was we probably we probably should not have done that thing but we did uh and i'm wondering you know we mentioned last time we we talked about mother in the heart of azeroth chamber and how she said that there was another titan facility and that we were advised not to approach it i'm wondering because we did talk about this possibility about whether or not nazjatar because it was imprisoning that's where nazoth's prison was at or at least that's where the chains are for his prison. If that was like the Titan facility that they were referring to. And I'm wondering if this is why. Because we went there with our hearts of Azeroth. And we enabled all of this stuff to come to pass. Um, not everything is in place with uh, the Eternal Palace raid. But there is some aftermath discussion. And... The aftermath discussion is a little bit sobering. Lorthmar says, Our victory rings hollow as Shara's master will rise. Nothing can stop that now. And yeah, Jaina says, For all her lies, Priscilla Ashfane spoke one truth. The war between the Alliance and Horde has kept us distracted. Divided, we have no hope against Nazoth. The implication here is, regardless of whether or not we actually killed Ashara or she got away, um, we have set things in motion that we can't take back now. Which, I mean, is sort of par for the course as far as our player characters are concerned. We we tend to go, and we don't really think of the long-term consequences of what we're doing. Just like, it, it always bothered me that we never asked why we were doing what we were doing. Yeah. You know, we just kind of did. We took Magni at his word, and you have to go collect all the Azerite. Oh, okay, Magni, we trust you. And then we go and do it. But it's and I like, don't think that Magni was like... I don't think that Magni was deliberately doing any of this. I think he genuinely thought that he was helping. Sure, but then it, it's just such a an odd thing to do, right? Mm. Like it here's this blood of Azeroth, and and it always it always struck me as weird. Why are we collecting it instead of putting it back into Azeroth? Like, well, I feel like the implication there was that we would collect it, and then at some point we would drop it off, you know. But that never happened. The drop off part. Right, and that's what I mean. Like, we it never happens, and we never question it. We we just keep gathering more and 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 more, and we keep going to these open wounds, and we don't seal the wounds. Like that that's the other thing. We don't seal the wounds. We just go collect the stuff that comes out of them, and then we disappear until there's more stuff to collect. And like I understand game mechanics, blah blah blah, but it always bothered me that like those quests weren't about sealing the wounds. It was literally just about harvesting the blood of Azeroth. And, and every other quest involving Azrite talks about how destructive it is. Yep. So why why are we not sealing the wounds? Why are we not? Why trying are we to do walking that? around with bombs tied yep. around our neck? <laughs> because I because eventually we're probably going to explode them and release a prison. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, the aftermath, though, like I said, Lorthmar, you know, he says that as Shara's master will rise. That implies that. We have set all of this in motion. Nazoth is going to be freed and we will see the Black Empire or reinstated or something akin to it. 
Um, the other thing that Lorthamar has to say, he says, we may have found common cause here in Nazdatar, but the battle still rages beyond these waters. So long as Sylvanas holds Orgrimmar, there can be no lasting peace. And Jaina says, the war needs to end, Lorthamar. You know this to be true. And Lorthamar says, I'd hoped that reason would prevail, but the time has come to finish this. I will tell my people what transpired here, of how Ashara fell because we stood together, of the threat rising from the depths, and all that is at stake if we should fail. And then I will take my place beside Sourfang and Thrall and pray that the Sindori stand with me. Lorthamar is taking a pretty decisive stand and it's against Sylvanas. Um, And I mean, we kind of saw this coming a little bit, obviously. Well, they were kind of foreshadowing that too, especially, and I've talked about this a couple episodes now, when you go and arrest Bane, if you go and talk with him, Lorthamar is hitting his limit. He's hitting his point where it's like he understands he's going to have to act soon. And if you have followed him throughout the years, that's something he hasn't really done. And he's sort of been this person in the background, sort of like watching what happens because his people are in a frail place. They have been, but now he doesn't have a choice. Now it's either he takes some form of stand and he knows he has to take some form of stand or once again, face this possibility of utter destruction. And I feel like the blood elves understand that a little bit better than most other races in this game. Like they've been at that precipice of death and destruction for so long now, and he can see the writing on the wall. So what does he have to do? He has to take action. And they've been foreshadowing this since the very beginning. And I'm happy to see this actually starting to come to fruition, right? Like his character is starting to be more involved, starting to do more what you would expect of a leader of these people to do. And it's, it's good to see that sort of development in his character. Yeah, we saw Lorthmar kind of come close to that line in in Pandaria, but he didn't cross it, um, mostly because of everything that went down with the Divine Bell and everything that went down with Dalaran in particular. Uh, That kind of nixed any thought Lorthmar had of turning against the Horde at that point. Um, But even then, he was thinking about it. So, I don't know. I like what they're doing with Lorthmar. The other thing I wanted to talk about... um, one last thing that I wanted to talk about here. When you're doing the quest in Nazjatar, uh, Ashara has the Tidestone. She got the Tidestone of Golden Hill. That happened like in Legion. She has the Tidestone. We yep. needed to get it away from her. And that's why we're sent after this weapon. It's to gain access to it so we can get it away from her and hopefully take her power away from her. So we go after these this thing called the Javelins of Suramar. Um to try and gain access to it. And we get there, we do it, we're triumphant, and then an image of Ashara shows up and says, good job. And everybody's like, we're coming to end your reign. And she's like, uh, they're like, you can't stop us. And she's like, well, why would I want to stop you? I'm going to give you a formal invitation. My palace is open. We're waiting for you here. Just just come on in. Um, That final confrontation that you have uh, or part of that confrontation thing that you have when you're when you're going and finding the javelins and getting access to the Tidestone and everything else, you run into this thing called the Eye of the Corrupter. And it's this giant, you know those little squid guys that live on your head and tell you things? This is like a giant version of one of those. Um, when you approach it, it starts whispering at you. And of course, you know... We love it when things whisper at us because we never know what those stupid whispers are going to mean. Um, this one actually has like a pretty interesting set of whispers that says, listen, 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 listen. You were right to doubt them. The undrowned will join the chorus. Listen to it. Listen, open the gate, step into the abyss, complete the circle. Listen, you know this is the truth. It is but one of a thousand, you have only to listen. Everywhere you look, the stars gaze back. You know their form already. You have but to listen. Listen, she is a threat. Kill her. Kill her. The queen threatens the king. There is no way to win. Listen. So, the queen threatening the king. Are we talking about Queen Ashara maybe threatening the dominance of Nazoth? Or are we talking about Sylvanas, the Banshee Queen? That's a really good question because right. it could go either way, right? Like it could be both. We don't see anything from Nathanos and any of the data mine stuff beyond he's gone to do his own mission and that's it. Mm-hmm. So 
You know, Anduin wouldn't be the first Wren to have his heart torn out by a dagger. Oh, no. Oh, no. Rossi, why would you say that out loud? Because it's true. Oh, you are right, though. Oh. Oh, man. What would even happen then? <gasps> Zalatath is a cage. Yeah, the, but the question is the cage for who? It imprisons the spirit of a thing. The Zalatath, like, that... That, the Zalatath that walked away left that cage empty. Oh, no. Okay, so I'm... Okay. Oh, no. Okay, so when you finish the Crucible of Storms on the Horde side, you take the dagger, right? You take the dagger to Sylvanas because it just seems like a good idea. Um, when you pick up that quest, Nizoth talks to you. He says, the fall of night reveals her true face. She will bring only ruin. That's all he says. You take it to Sylvanas and... She smiles, and her eyes darken, and maybe it's a trick of the light, maybe there's something really terrible going on here. But she tells you, the Alliance believes that by striking down Rastakhan and decimating the Zandalari fleet, they have broken us, that the Horde will soon crumble. Fools, the Boy King has lied to himself and his people. He hasn't the faintest inkling of what he's truly up against. War is a living thing. It rises, it grows, twisting and turning until its final form is revealed. This war is about to shift yet again, and it will be this blade that guides our way to victory. What if she's going to, like, trap Anduin in the thing? Well, it would make sense. It would make sense that she would try. Right? She keeps talking about striking at hope. She keeps talking about killing hope and taking hope away. Who's more you know? hopeful than Anduin? He's been that all his life. And I mean, look at every cinematic we've had so far, this expansion that has involved Anduin. What is it? Light and hope. Light mm, and hope. I don't like the thought of any of this. <laughs> well, I mean, let's... We may not like the thought of it, but let's... What happens if it does happen? What happens to the Alliance? They crumble. No, they don't. Well, <laughs> nope. Okay, Sylvanas assumes. We've had a Rin King get his heart ripped out before. We've had yes. a Rin King get assassinated before. Uh, we've now had Anduin's the last Rin King. When he dies, the the kingdom will then go to no one. There's no claimant. There's no ruler. The only person who's even in a remote position to rule Stormwind would become Gengamer as the last kingdom of, king of any human kingdom. Um, <gasps> However, Hold up. That, there is the fact that Anduin Lothar had relatives. He had a son who died. He had a wife. We don't know exactly what happened to that wife. Uh, we do know that it, there's a possibility of Lothar having relatives alive in the world today. If they exist, they would be the last claimants to both the Stormwind and Arathi blood thrones, which put Denath, would mean Denath Trollbane has a claim. I'm just curious, um, because we did see someone else act in role as king well is like a regent sort of yeah dead guy mm -hmm. his daughter's still, still around. around yep but here's another thing to consider if you're the lich king how do you view anduin wren the thing is is, any, is like is there any part of you that still thinks of him as the little boy that you took care of yeah is there any part of you that wants to protect him is there any part of you that would raise him? Sylvanas killing him might be the worst possible thing from that perspective. Oh, does he turn into a Kalia? Do they bring him back as like a Kalia Meneth? Oh, oh. I don't like where any of this is going. <laughs> lots of different possibilities because, as you pointed out, the dagger might be a cage for souls. The last time, however, one thing we're considering is when you're looking at people who Sylvanas seems to be mirroring the life journey of, the one that people keep forgetting is Arthas. And when she picked up the dagger, oh, her yeah, eyes absolutely. went black. Absolutely. For all, you, for all we know, Sylvanas' spirit is in that dagger now. <gasps> because remember, when she died, she was in drifting in a void of nothingness. And she saw Arthas there. And then she was brought back. Which is unusual. It's not the way other people have experienced on death. And then she had the, who did she have pulling her out of death over and over again? Valkyr. And who did Valkyr work for? Helia. And the ones that the Lich King had were created by him somehow, copying what Helia did. Did they make a deal with Helia? Is that why Sylvanas made a deal with Helia? There's a lot going on here that we don't know yet. 
there's a lot of what what does this mean? What do, does it not mean? But it seems clear that Sylvanas is going to bring destruction and ruin, and it's exactly what Nazoth is counting on. The question is, does Nazoth want that to happen, or does he fear it? Because we have the Void telling us, you need to kill her. You need to get rid of her. This is bad. Is the Void saying you need to do it because it's bad, or is it saying you need to do it to open the way? Because remember, they just said, you know the truth, one of a thousand. You, you know what I mean? It's very much everything Ashara says would indicate that, you know, yeah, by all means, bring the, you know, bring the super powerful magical artifact in so we can use it. That's great. You're doing you're doing you're doing a good work, son. Nazoth goes through all that effort to get you, not Sylvanas, you. And he puts the mark on you. And then you give the dagger, if you're Horde, to Sylvanas. There's... From the beginning, you know, what, what did we say about the dream that Magni has? Not the, not the dream that he has, the dream that, that Azeroth is having, that yeah. Magni is trying to speak to her. She's haunted by various, you know, images and spirits, visions, things she's nightmarishly dreaming. She's not. We keep treating her like a sapient being, but she's not even a born yet. She doesn't know what's happening to her. She can't plan or think. She doesn't sit down and have a chat with Magni. He's just sort of reading. He's what doing the she's best feeling. he can to interpret. Yeah, yeah, exactly. he's yeah, he's interpreting her dreams and feelings, right? Because like even when we, even when we go to uh, Northrend with Magni, he talks about you know she's having a nightmare, right? Or or that one chamber, the 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 other chamber, not the heart chamber, but the other one. And it's just like she's she's asleep. She's having a nightmare. He's not talking like, about her like a close friend or anything. It's more like a fitful child. Yeah, and and I always found that interesting as well, especially because, you know, he was a father, so he's going to look at it through that lens, right? Even if he's been reborn as a diamond king, he's still going to look at it like a child. He's still going to look at it as, you know, not this, this masterful statesman, godlike being. It's a child to him. And so I think that sort of almost taints his interpretations a little, right? Like, at least to me, it does. It It feels like he looks at it through a way that may not be the best. Okay. As much as I hate to do so, um, we're running a little bit over time here <laughs> and we kind of need to wrap things up. So um, we're going to go ahead and do so. If you have an email for the show, we didn't get to any emails this week. I had a few. It's okay. We'll carry them over to next week. But if you have an email for the show and you can ask about 8.2 stuff, we'll just throw a spoiler warning on there if we need to. Um, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just be sure to put lore watch in the subject line so we know it's intended for this show. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And um, I would like to say thank you to uh, everybody that's been listening with us for a hundred episodes. That's a lot. I didn't even think about how many years that is <laughs> until you guys started talking about it. Um, yeah, we wouldn't be doing the show if we didn't have people listening to it because, I mean, we could talk about it amongst ourselves at any point in time. We don't have to do it for you guys, but I, I really enjoy having these conversations and I really enjoy that so many people love listening to them and throwing in their input and coming up with theories of their own uh blizzard lore is fun it's just fun it's a fun thing to dive into um and i i don't know about you guys but i look forward to every show that we do so yeah here's to 100 episodes um i'm going to close this off with like one last little final thoughts thing here do you guys Given, given, in light of everything that we talked about today, what do you think the next expansion is going to look like, Joe? Oh, geez. I'm going to make a bold statement, and it could be wrong. It could be very right. Uh, I'd like to keep my track record of, of being right so far, but we'll see. I think that at the end of this, the next expansion is going to be figuring out how to fight the Void. And I don't think that it's... I, I think we're going to wrap up our old God stuff here. I think that that's going to be done here. And I think you after think? that, I, I do. I, I, the way that it's going, it's it's moving pretty at a pretty quick clip. But I think we're going to figure that out. And I think we're going to be start looking at places like Koresh. 
And the reason I say that is because we've seen Koresh now. We saw it last expansion. And Ethereals are around again. And now with Void Elves, there's a renewed interest there. But we haven't really talked about the Void at all this expansion unless you do the Night Elf quest or the, uh, the Void Elf quests. That's going to come to a head at some point. With everything they've dropped with the comics, what they've dropped with the stories, the books, and everything that's happening there, I think that's where we're going to start turning our attention. Whether or not Azeroth is, is in one piece or safe or whatever is going to be a whole other story, but I think the key is going to be how do we stem the tide of the void. Okay. I think that's going to be it. Rossi, what do you think? Same question. The gnomes kill us all. <laughs> no, I got nothing. I'm sorry. I don't. I have nothing. I okay. don't even have a... If you want me to just make something up right on the spot. Um, no, I got nothing. Sorry. I just honestly... This expansion has left me completely incapable of figuring out where it's going. <laughs> in, in a way, that's kind of um, kind of a good thing. Because I, I see like three or four different ways that it could go. And Joe, you were talking about like going to Karesh and going to the other worlds and fighting the Void. Yeah, I could see that. I could also see... Lich King Part 2, only Sylvana stepping into that role, which would be interesting and weird. Um, I could also see Rise of the Black Empire very easily, uh, with us going to Nyalatha, maybe even, because that would be fun and terrible and great. Oh my god, you just made me think of something. What's that? We keep thinking that Ashara waking, like not Ashara, Azeroth waking up would be a good thing. What if we don't get a Fell Titan? or a dead titan, or a void titan? What if we just get the most powerful titan who's ever existed? With with absolutely nobody to stop it. There's no no pantheon. There's no pantheon to raise it or tell it what to do. What if if in the end, Rathion is the winner, and the the final titan is recreated, and that's what we have to deal with? Oh yeah, if we didn't even talk about Rathion. (laughs) That's... uh that's also an interesting possibility because what do we do if we make the planet better yes what if it does heal what if it does grow what if it does come forth okay and do we end up riding around the cosmos on the surface of azeroth as it defeats every evil i mean what what happens i don't know <laughs> all right well that's gonna wrap us up for now uh thanks again as always you guys for listening and we will see you again in two weeks Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.